Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back on to It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and as always, and it goes without saying, I'm very excited, and I'm always equally grateful to be here with each of you guys from around the world, whatever you're doing right now. Please take one moment just to check in with yourself and tap yourself on the back. Know that I'm grateful. This is an investment. This is time that you're spending on something to learn, to grow, to be a better version of yourself. So as always, thanks for being here. If you're new, welcome onto the podcast. I'm looking forward to growing on this journey with you. And we have some exciting guests in the lineup. That being said, before we get onto our next guest onto the podcast, as always, if you like the podcast, please rate it, please review it, leave a note, leave a comment there for us. We always love seeing those notes and those comments. Thanks for sharing us across socials, everybody. You know who you are. Big love because this will help us grow on the podcast chart so that we can reach more people from around the world and make more of an impact. But without further ado, I want to welcome onto this podcast, Shona Virtue. She's an Australian badass. She's a personal trainer. She's been in the industry for almost 20 years. She's a high-end yoga teacher. She's got her own programs called The Virtue Method. She's got over 400,000 followers on Instagram, and she puts out some great content in the world around women's health. But more importantly, in this podcast today, I really want to dive deep and really figure out the difference between, you know, like the different kinds of training modalities, when health turns into dysfunction, how health can aid the way that you're feeling about yourself. But one thing she did mention that she lives by and it's kind of her mantra with her work that she does and what she tries to teach and train her community is being better at feeling as opposed to feeling better from training. Have a think about that, being better at feeling, so getting in touch with how you feel because at the end of the day, exercise and training has a range of benefits but I really believe and I agree with Shona, I feel like the better that we can become at feeling and understanding ourselves, which we dive really deep into on this podcast, the better we are in relationships, the better we are at training, the better we are at recovery, the better we can become at showing up in the world to our relationships, you know, career, our personal growth. But there really is a range of different benefits for different reasons for all of us, which could involve training, health and fitness, but all types of different health and fitness. And what I love about 
Shona's work is she's very holistic based. She's actually in the process of finishing off a psychology degree and she's looking to embed her learnings and the way of psychology into the work that she does in out the gym. So let's just get her straight onto the podcast. So much wisdom here. So specific in how we talk about all of this stuff. Without further ado, let's welcome onto the podcast, Shona Virtue. Well, Shona Virtue, welcome onto the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. I appreciate your time. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I'm good. I feel pretty good today, I have to say. I'm in sunny London and it's sunny. just- <laughs> It's sunny in there. It was sunny. There's cracks of blue sky, but it's a little overcast, but we love it. You know, living here actually taught me how to appreciate, not to get all philosophical on you uh, so true. quickly into the podcast, <laughs> into but, it. Vulnerable. but it just like, I don't know, I have to say, it just makes you like appreciate, you know, it just makes you appreciate the great and like all the different variations of weather and stuff like that. I used to complain about it all the time because I'm obviously Australian, but now I'm like, I really like it. Yeah, I have not spent any time in London. I'm going to Italy in two weeks, actually. Good, by good. the time this podcast releases, it would have been before that. But anyway, long story short, it's an amazing <laughs> experience having you on here. One of our staff at Livin actually said, you got to get out and reach out to Shona and see if she'd be down to come on board the podcast. So I did some research and here we are. So I appreciate your time and thanks for the support. Thank you and stoked to be on here. Yeah. So you're in London. You're Australian. That's where you're born. Is that correct? Yep, born and raised born Sydney, and raised Australia. Sydney, whereabouts? Shit, I lived all around. I had split parents, so I ended up in the Shire. I was in Newtown. I went. To, I actually went to Newtown High School Performing Arts, so that's where I sort of like spent the last years of living at home around Newtown. But I was in Bondi. Fuck, I've been in so many places. Shit. Yeah, no, nah, that's worn good. twice already. No, nah, that's all right. You got we're a like mouth. thirty so seconds in. Yeah, I know you're like going straight hard. Now this is good. Oh, this is good. God. I like it. Okay, so you're in London. You miss Australia, but you're expanding your career, which is amazing. You've done a lot of great work, especially in the fitness industry, from yoga through to personal training. You're a past gymnast. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Ex gymnast. Yep. Mm -hmm. And dancer. So how did this? Yes, I guess I should say, what is the right word? How did this like motivation and like inspiration start for you? Like oh, as a woman in the fitness industry, you know, like where did it come from? It has to come from a deep place. So I'd love to know where that came from for you. Yeah. I mean, do you mean motivation in general, like for life or motivation to train? Yeah, no, your motivation to start this business and this industry, oh, like okay. what made you get into it in the first place? You got a performing arts school, you said, but now you're in the health and fitness industry. So how, why, what's yeah, your Yeah. So look, I think the why, there's two main whys, but essentially it really began because of gymnastics. So, you know, I did it from a very young age. My parents enrolled me into like a program called Jumping Jelly Babies, which was just like, you know, kind of like babysitting, to be honest. But it was essentially, I got pulled out of that program and put into the elite program. They saw potential in me. And so they wanted to have me train a little bit harder. And that did get very hard. So that turned into 20 hours a week of training eventually at my peak. And I was going back and forth between Sydney and Canberra to train at the to do workshops and train at the AIS for the potential of working towards the Olympics. Yeah, wow. So you were pretty high, like you were really good at it. You're like, yeah, so it was, like, okay. yeah. I mean, it's so funny. Like the perfectionist in me is like, 
I wasn't really good at it, but it's like, yes, I obviously was good enough to be a part of this team and to be training at this level, but I can hear the running narrative that's just, you know, there's always, always this little gymnast on my shoulder that's like, that's not good enough. Yeah, and so now I try to utilize it as a power or a strength rather than let it kind of control and dictate my life, but it absolutely dictated my life and all aspects, all areas, relationships, job, career, everything for a very long time. Now, I guess the why of why I train is because I have just always lived that way. I've never known any other life where I'm not really, it's not always about pushing my body. It's actually just about truly like living in my body. And so I think that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And I know how good it can feel to really live in your body, like really start to, you know, see what the edge of your comfort is in different ways, also what it is to really take care of your body to extreme levels. I know that sounds strange, but to really value it. And so that, because it exists in me, it certainly bleeds out into me wanting to share that with others. So it transitioned into me essentially becoming a yoga teacher and then also becoming a personal trainer, realizing actually yoga wasn't enough to be able to help people. So I wanted to also be working on people's strength. And then through that, I was like, oh, actually, there's also this mindset component. And that's what brought me back to uni to finish a psychology degree, because I was like, well, you know, you can have the best program in the world, you can have the best nutrition plan in the world. But if you aren't aware of your behavior, and some of these roadblocks that can come up through childhood experiences, through current present experiences, through limiting beliefs, then it doesn't matter how good your program is, because ultimately, your behavior is going to be impacted by that. So I got into psychology to try to help my clients. And obviously, while I was there, I was like, oh, shit, I got a lot to unpack. So we'll start with, we'll start with the self. Yeah, yeah, you start with it. Well, I think that's a very good place to start. You know, I mean, learning about other things, especially psychology. So it sounds like based on your experience and the, the work you do, bringing in the psychology component and having a more round, I guess, deeper understanding of the ins and outs of psychology, how people think, how they operate, their setbacks, how they deal with adversity. You're looking at more like a holistic approach with the way that you yeah, teach your clients? Absolutely. I mean, okay, I'm not trying to like throw this podcast back onto go you, hard, but, you just but let me like – you're an actor, you're many things, but let's just say like one of your main pursuits is acting. So like, you know what it is to be able to empathize to a degree, right? Because I imagine for acting, you have to empathize with your characters. Yeah, definitely. So it's like, so I just think that you can't be a good trainer or a good yoga teacher or a good whatever nutritionist, if there's not some high degree of like, empathy first, but also then trying to understand just generally how human behavior works. And maybe as an, I don't know. So I guess my question to you is like, how do you do it as an actor? Yeah, I think it's trying to understand the character that you're playing, trying to put yourself in their shoes, understanding them from a place of non-judgmental or non-judgment, I should say. Trying to, like, I mean, bringing it all back to humanity is really important. So it's relatable. So if you're playing someone that's not really like you, there are always aspects of people that you could turn up within yourself that you are like. Oh, and then there that's are things. So good. Yeah, then there are <laughs> things inside of you that may not relate to the character so much, or they may relate so much to the character, but you need to turn them down. So you kind of like, yeah, I feel like in every role or any character anyone plays, you're still part of the role. You're not abandoning yourself completely. 100%. And you're becoming this fictitious character. 
It's still you portraying their life through the way yes. you perceive their feelings, emotions, their reactions, their point of view on the world. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, that's very interesting. Yes, I've actually heard a few actors sort of talk about it in that way. They often say, like, it's still me. Because, you know, it'd be very difficult to kind of <laughs> become a sociopath, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. to completely, like, disassociate from self. But I think that there's something to be said for, yeah, I think when you work with people, there's an element of like understanding them. And as you say, like, yeah, humanity that just kind of brings us all together. So yes, to come back to your question, is it holistic? It is holistic. I just don't think that there's ever a world where it isn't actually. And I think even the top tier nutritionist specialists in their field acknowledge that there are, you know, an array of things. Everything in this universe, in our experience, is multifactorial. So it's never just this one thing and it's all being impacted, which makes it very hard to be a specialist. It also makes it very hard to like hone in on this one aspect that things... Because there's always something else that's going to play a factor in having the success. Well, when you break it all out, I get that. But is there one part of this puzzle, so to speak, that is probably more important than the others? Like, can you have one without That's the other really kind of thing? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. I think scientists I like to ask, ask good this questions. all the time. Shana, like yeah, you do, you do, Sam. So I would say, look, that fundamentally, probably yes. Like, I would say fundamentally, probably yes. And scientists definitely are trying to like hone in on that. I was recently shared on another podcast, this Harvard study of adult development, which is basically one of the longest running longitudinal studies. A longitudinal study is, is a study that goes over time. It's not like a cross-sectional is another type of study that people often hear. And that's like one moment in time, a certain cohort of people. But this is looking at a bunch of people and it started in 1938 and it's been going for a very long time, obviously. So basically what they found, if they kind of like isolate a few things, or at least some of their surprising findings were just how important relationships were for human beings the impact of our childhood experiences, how much they can have an impact, not just on our psychological well-being, but our physiological well-being, that life satisfaction is really important as well. And what coping strategies help and lead to a healthier life. So what coping strategies we kind of engage in and how they can like impact our physiological health. So it's like, I wish I could just say, oh yeah, absolutely. It's eat your greens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's not that easy. <laughs> you know? it? Nothing, but no, it's not that simple. Nothing is ever that simple, is it? Everything... No, but what people are finding though is more and more this importance of yes, relationships. And therefore, if we kind of umbrella that, it's like why relationships so important. They're important because yes, they impact our psychology and our physiology. And there's not so much of a gap. I think we put so much emphasis on physiology for so long. And now in a mainstream conversation, we're starting to hear more people talk about yeah, the importance of how we feel mentally. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I feel like I don't think people are, and I think there's been some studies, like you mentioned just recently, like it used to be people going to the gyms and doing all this training modalities and fitness and yoga and all meditation to, I'll probably put meditation aside, but all the fitness, hard sweating stuff, you know, to look good and to be part of a community or probably community's probably risen in the research, but now it's mental health is kind of like a prominent level people are chasing to improve and get better at, more resilient, better able to improve their baseline around mental health so they're, you know, better place to deal with adversity in their life, failures, bad relationships, toxic yes. relationships, setbacks, loss, trauma, all that stuff. So it is very important. Do you think like from your clients and the feedback you get from the work that you do in your field, like in your community, do you feel like 
people are coming back more because they're feeling good as opposed to that pressure of it's more than just looking good? Absolutely. And I will take it a step further and say that one of the things that I'm commonly saying to my clients is we're actually not just trying to feel better. We're trying to get better at feeling. And the reason I say that is because sometimes the pressure to always be okay, you know, causes some of the problem too, like this taboo of being down or being upset or having, you know, a hard time. And so Sometimes, you know, exercise can become a coping strategy for that, but only for so long. So only so long can we kind of bury our feelings in, you know, our exercise practices or any practices, right? So what I say to everyone in the Virtue Crew and in all my clients that train with me is, yeah, we want to get better at feeling because ultimately the more we allow ourselves to feel, you know, the more we can heal essentially you know, not to sound too cliche, but it certainly makes a difference. It's just the feeling part is sometimes a bit yucky. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you know, it's hard and it's hard to face some of the stuff that we don't want to face, but it's really impactful work. So some of the things that I do with my training programs is all of them come with some level of like a cognitive behavioral therapy practice or exercise. So it's about trying to work on, okay, understanding your limiting beliefs or just keeping track of feelings. So there's a whole journaling process. And I say to everyone during my programs, every Sunday, you have to do this. And this is just as important as you hitting your cardio or hitting your step target or drinking enough water, or eating enough protein is journaling on these particular prompts. And so these prompts will be ranging from anything. It's not just, how did you feel after your workout? It's like, you know, what did anything come up for you in regards to relationships or are you struggling with anything in particular at the moment? And so it's about tracking that so that we have some kind of data collection around emotion and around how these things make us feel. Because another element that's often just under acknowledged is how good exercise can make you feel over time and how it does make you resilient and how sometimes we think that the only results we're getting from exercise are the physical appearance results, when in actual fact, we're having immediate benefits. And those immediate benefits are, you know, feelings of empowerment and feelings of like achievement. Even if we just get to the gym, do the workout and manage to leave, we're like, oh, okay, actually, you know what? I feel a little bit better about this problem that I was managing today. And by acknowledging that, in those times when you feel really low in motivation, those times when you feel like, what is the fucking point? I'm not seeing any change. You actually look back on the data and you go, I actually, you know what? I am seeing change. I'm seeing immediate change. But, oh, look, maybe I haven't been hitting this particular variable very well. Maybe I haven't been doing this very well, but I am feeling better and I am understanding myself more. So here's how we can make some tweaks. So I think it's just a really important element that's often neglected because it doesn't have anything to do with seeing abs. Yeah, which is, it's very important that to mention that because yeah, most people, like you'd think, are going there to look good, try and fit in with the rest of the world, open up their phone, looking at Instagram, wishing they had that person's body and all that. But it's a lot deeper than that, isn't it? Because you look at people's physique and doesn't necessarily mean they're healthy either. Doesn't mean they're healthy and it certainly does not mean that they're happy necessarily. So any of, yeah, those two things. It's really hard. You know, we're visual creatures. We want to be attractive to whoever we are attracted to. So whatever sex that may be. But it's like, I think the thing that's important to remember is like, there's going to be some really key biological drivers that are making us want to be attractive. And so that's okay. So it's not to, you know, I always have to remind 
my clients like, I don't mind that you have aesthetic goals. I don't care if you want to drop body fat or if you want to see abs, you want a bigger booty, like any of these things, they're great. They're kind of like the analogy I give for motivation is like aesthetic goals are kind of like kindling. And so they can like help to really light your fire. But if you were only using kindling to buy a campsite, like it would cooked. be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> right? You'd be cooked. cooked. That yeah. fire is going straight out. So <laughs> logs are like, you know, skill-based training. So being able to do a push-up or a pull-up or, you know, feeling just more energy throughout your life. Those sorts of things are motivating, but they're motivating long-term. They get you to the gym on those days where you're like, ugh. Yuck, I don't want to go. You know, the winter days, the gray days when you really can't be bothered, but you go because you're like, you know what? Last week I put a few extra kilos on my squat and I felt really great about it. Let's see what I can do this week. And so that is more like the thing that's going to keep your fire burning long term. So we need the kindling, but we also need the logs. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. okay. So that was actually one of my questions I was going to ask you. Like, how do you keep bringing clients back to the gym, back to your workouts, back to your programs when they're struggling? Like, how do they keep coming back? And yourself, like when times are hard, and I've heard you talk about relationships. So you obviously have some, I guess, stories in your own past experiences in that field too. Oh, Sam, boy, do I have stories. I think we all do. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We're all (laughs) good with stories. Yeah, is that kind of how people just keep coming back? Yeah, I think so. I think there's certain- Or do they just love you? (laughs) <laughs> or is it the relationships? I mean, bless. Relationships. It's love hate. Is it relationships? I'm sure it's love, it's love hate. Yeah. Okay. No, do you know what? I feel like it's hard because everyone, we all have. So in psychology, you learn about this thing called like your schema or schema. Some people say schema, some people say schema. But basically, it's kind of like your framework for understanding the world. Now, a really simple way to understand a schema would be, and they're usually set in childhood. And a really easy way to understand it is like, you know, when you first learn about what an elephant is, you gather images, you're sort of like, okay, big ears and like like massive body grayish in color, like big long trunk. And so you kind of acknowledge like that's your schema, that's your framework for this thing. But that's just an elephant, right? So we have like a gazillion things as we're growing up and as our brain's developing that we learn about. And so we also have what's known as a self-schema. So if we develop these beliefs about ourself in childhood, or let's say they're sort of like really intense self-beliefs that develop across childhood or across adolescence, they tend to stick with us. So if you learned at a very young age that, for example, you know, I'm just picking like a common one is like, you know, that men can't be trusted or that men might leave, right? So maybe you had a poor relationship with your father and therefore you suddenly will take that schema and sorry, that's actually not a self-schema, but that's, let's just say that that's a schema about a fatherly role or a male relationship role. You will then potentially take that into every relationship or every interpretation of your experience of life moving forward. It can be really difficult to change. A self-schema might be whatever goal I try to achieve, I fail at. And so that means that anytime you go to approach something, you might approach it with all the right tools. But if you underlyingly believe that you're going to fail, doesn't matter how good your tools are, right? You're going to fail. That's what's going to happen. And so fuck, now I can't remember what I was talking about. That's hard. That's a hard one. That's okay. (laughs) It's a really, they're really hard. But basically the reason I was bringing, I think I was, what did you ask me? You said, oh, how do you get motivated? That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yes. Got it. We're back. We're back. Yeah. yeah, We're back. We circled back. That's all right. This is good. So basically what I realized was that 
everyone is coming to exercise for a different reason. Everyone has a self-schema and everyone has an interesting relationship with exercise. Like some people, you know, I grew up with it. So like, as you asked me at the beginning, it's like, I love movement. I love feeling this experience in the gym. You've known it your whole life, basically. I've my whole that. life. So it's embedded into that schema or whatever. Hundred so percent, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas other people may have had a really bad experience with exercise. Maybe they were thrown into a time. Maybe they were less developed. Let's just say physically, when they were in PE class, and therefore all the kids around them were better than them, and that made them feel a sense of shame. Like I'm just pulling an example here, right? And so what does that then do to you when you're an adult? How do you then view exercise? How do you then view yourself when it comes to exercise? And these things play a part in our motivation. These things play a part in the exercise program we choose and everything. And so again, this is another big reason that it's really important that we don't just try to feel better, but that we try to get better at feeling. We have to understand ourselves if we want to have long-term discipline and motivation to exercise because we need to understand what our relationship to exercise and ourself is. I've never looked at it that way. It's a really, really interesting perspective to look. I look at training as a, like I've always trained. I like just keeping fit. Like a lot of people who train, I definitely like to push myself, challenge myself, step out of my comfort zone and all that stuff. But for me, it's never really been about going to the gym and lifting extra weights or working out heavy. It's always been for me about feeling good, but not being better at feeling. Mm. But at the same time, like when I'm doing my long runs or I'm training, I get better at feeling. I do. Yeah. I get better because I'm clearer. I feel, I'm a pretty feeling per. Like I feel anyway, I'm pretty vulnerable all the time. So I wear my heart on my sleeve. So for me, it's probably comes second nature but for a lot of people they are blocked up and they've got barriers and whether it's a relationship that they've had in the past and it was really really bad and they can't open themselves back up for another relationship and they find themselves self-sabotaging or giving themselves away to everyone else because i don't know maybe there's underlying things that they're trying to still work through you know i don't know i think it's very complex as well but you know it is when it's all said and done yeah i definitely look at health and fitness as a lifestyle as opposed to like a what should i say is like a chore like you got to do this Definitely. you got to do that it's like part of the way that i just live my life yes and that's what i'm hoping to get other people to that point but what i've come to realize is that yeah not everyone feels that way and a lot of people do feel that sense of this is a chore particularly if they come to it in adulthood as opposed to being exposed to it as a child which is why it's so important to have your kids watch you exercise and to get them into something so that they feel a connection to physical activity and movement in a way that's really positive and supportive I think it's interesting what you said about running because I think running is one of those things where you have to like sit in it. <laughs> and when we sit in it and we push ourselves to somewhat uncomfortable physical perspective or points, and I find this with running or any sort of cardiovascular stuff where you're having to sort of do endurance training, is that the stuff that comes up that tries to convince you to stop. And the narrative that your mind will tell you or say or the negotiations it will make when in actual fact, your body's like, I'm actually fine. I can keep going. But your mind is like, no, 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 you absolutely can't. Let's stop. Let's stop. And then the interesting things that come up during this time. So that definitely happens for me during endurance training is like, it's very different. Whereas 
actually gymnastics, weight training, all of those things are probably more like distractions from my mind. Yeah. Because you can focus on uh, the grit of like, and it's short lasting. Whereas endurance training, it, it lasts so long that there's a point and it's sort of like, I wouldn't say it's low intensity. Sometimes it can be high, yeah, higher yeah, intensity, yeah, yeah. but stuff. yeah, exactly. But still it's this kind of like base rate and then it might go up and down a little bit, but it's essentially this base rate. And so you have to kind of just sit in your shit a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And so it does make you sort of face yourself in a way. It absolutely does. Because I remember back when I lived in Sydney, I was actually, I was in a really bad place back in, I think it was 2016, maybe. I was living in the cross. I lived in just behind Victoria Street. It was wild. <laughs> okay. I used to run every weekend, like after I had a big weekend. I used to run, and, and I don't know how bad it might have been on my body, but I used to wake up really early and run like 15 to 20K. And wow. I, I was running away from my demons, but at the same time, like I was... Also processing them, no? Processing them, yeah, trying to understand them. But yeah, it was a distraction to a certain point, but then it was also therapeutic and I could feel good. And we talk about good stresses and we talk about bad stresses. I'd love to hear what your take is on this. Like when you're already stressed or something or you're already highly wired and your fight or flights might be, and your nervous systems might be going haywire and you go, for someone like me, like when I go for a run, I feel like that drops. You feel calm. I feel so calm. But then I feel through, I've heard and research might suggest this and it might be against what I do. But like if you're already stressed and you're running or you're putting extra stress on your body, it might be a short-term benefit but a long-term issue. What are your thoughts mm. on that? Yeah, I definitely sit on that side of the fence for sure because that was another thing where I was like, we need to get better at feeling because you can use exercise as a drug. I mean, there are people that have exercise addiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely can resonate with that 100%. Totally. And like if you think about the neurochems that we release after exercise and during and mostly post, those endorphins can in a way be somewhat – they can be, I don't want to say that they're always addictive because it's very different addiction to like, say, for example, a substance addiction and the experience that you have from those two things are obviously very different. We can't compare exercise and cocaine, but let's just say that there's definitely, you know, there's definitely similarities in like the sort of like, all right, cool. I feel good and blah, blah. And so it can definitely have this feeling of yeah, it can distract you from the shit that's going on, truly, or it distracts you. It can be this mechanism for getting joy and not having to face other stuff that's in your life. Now, is it a lesser of two evils? Because could you just turn to substance? Yes, you could. <laughs> and I would say that it would still be better you turning to running every weekend than you turning to, you know, a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Drugs, for example. However, what I will say, (laughs) I guess some people do both, right? But what I will say is that the problem with, or I guess it's not the problem with, but it's like the insidious part of exercise is that it creeps up on you. So exercise addiction, and I would even say things like porn addiction, exercise addiction, even alcohol to a degree, these things are sort of socially acceptable for a while. Sex addiction, love addiction, those sorts of things are are in a way sort of socially acceptable. Like it's things we have to do. It's, you know, girls got to eat. Like it's all these things that we are doing as human beings. And then it hits a point where it's like, hmm, are you using really, you know, are you using this thing? Yeah, exactly. So I think, again, that's why I just come back to we have to be in check with ourselves. We have to check ourselves throughout the process of exercise as well. Yeah, just kind of see where you are at in the way that you feel and stuff and the reasons as to why you're doing it, I guess. Yeah, I just feel super clear after I train. I don't know why. I mean, there's obviously science behind it, endorphins and all that. And I've done a lot of research and read and listened to a bunch of podcasts and whatnot. But then you think about the hormatic stress, which your body, you can do when it's good stress. But when is it enough where it tips into the bad stress zone where you're only depleting well, exactly. the system? That's what I tend to struggle with. Yeah, Well, I guess you have to then look at overall, this is another thing that we look at is like, what is the balance across your week of the different areas of your training? So how much attention do you pay to your sleep, to your, let's just call it like recovery. So that could be sleep, that could be hydration, that also could be meditation, that also could be, you know, yin, that also could be like sitting at home and watching a movie. Can you sit still and really, you know, just like be present with your partner, for example. It's all of that stuff that's really actually very nourishing for our nervous system as well. I mean, connecting with your partner and truly like being present with someone, or even if it's not your partner, just being present with another person is in many ways like very, very important to us, not just psychologically, but physiologically. So you have to look at your whole week and go, okay, I'm running every morning. I'm going to a highly stressful job. I'm coming home and I'm, you know, like quickly eating dinner as I scroll through Instagram and then I go to bed and sleep for six hours before I, you know, it's just like you have to look at the whole thing, the whole picture. That is super interesting. Okay. So what are your thoughts then on like, you know how you're running and you're doing high intensity interval training? I know you do a lot of, you know, functional movements. You do yoga stuff, modalities with mobility and stuff like that. And I do want to ask you about that in a moment, but like it sounds like to me and it feels like to me and I've always struggled with doing yoga, hey, but when I do it, I feel so freaking good. But like running, if you're a highly stressed or a highly anxious person, I would imagine when you're doing the high intensity interval trainings and you're doing those runs, it's probably only amping up your central nervous system. Would I be right saying that? 
Yeah. Yeah, it's just feeding that addiction, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So there's two main states. You've got your parasympathetic state and your sympathetic state. Now, the sympathetic nervous system is just the fancy word for your fight or flight. And then your parasympathetic is your rest and digest or your feed and breed, as some people say. It's kind of like when you can chill and eat and digest and have sex, basically. Whereas your sympathetic mode is like your kind of like it's high intensity, it's your high stress mode. And Honestly, like people love to shit on the fight or flight mode. Like they love to go like, oh, it's so bad. I'm stressed all the time. We want to be good at these sorts of things. We want our nervous system to be good at facilitating the resilience through stress, but we don't want to stay at that level the whole time, right? We don't want to be, everyone always uses the saber-toothed tiger analogy. It's like you want to be able to run away from a saber-toothed tiger, but ideally you're not running for the rest of your life away from a saber-toothed tiger, right? You get some rest. And the problem is, is that often the body or the fight or flight response doesn't so much know the difference between like some of those different types of stress. So chronic stress, stress from work, stress from a relationship, like, you know, we know that we've had, we've all had those times in our life where we've maybe hated our job, we've hated our partner and some intense thing happens, you know, to a family member. And then suddenly we find out we've got some health problem and like, you just like, fuck man, I'm literally being like pummeled from every angle here. And so that's like just constant sympathetic, you know, fight or flight mode stress. And so if you then go layer some high intensity interval training on top of that, like, is it really going to help? Or would you be better off actually doing something that's going to bring you down? Now, the problem and the reason that people don't like to do something that brings them down is that suddenly you have to face your shit again. Exactly. So if I take people through exactly. like a meditation or if you go to a sound healing and suddenly you have to lie down, I mean, that's when you get people that like it all comes up and you can't run. You're just there having to process and manage it. So it can be a lot. But yes, they'd be better off doing that for their body and everything. Yeah, it's a funny one because during it and during high intensity training, like I did a little session this morning, I did like a little circuit. During it, I was sweating and I was struggling. I was like, fuck. But then after it, <laughs> I get this level of calmness. But yes. I love, see, every time I go to, I've done yoga a bunch of times in my life. I've just never committed to it. I'm telling you, every time I've gone to yoga, I fucking, I'm so bad at it. I've got like, I can't really go on my hands and do a proper push up because I've got like screws. Oh, so annoying. That's annoying. So, I'm always on my so yoga would be irritating. It, it definitely hurts, but I do push through. And every time I do, like I'm fully sweating. I feel like my body gets even more ripped when I'm doing things like yoga. And then after it, I feel amazing. I'm like, I'm signing up. I'm doing it. Let's go. But I yeah, never do. Yeah. And I'm like, it's like a massage. I go get a massage every now and then. And I'm like, I'm signing so up, true. doing one every week, never missing a beat. Haven't been for six months. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Because we can just live in that state. Yeah, We're so good at yeah. living in that sympathetic state. It's so true. I know. And it's just the way our culture is driven. It's like push, push, push. And look, I used to be like, everyone needs to chill out. And now I'm like, I get it. I get where the drive comes from and I get that desire for intensity, but we do have to, you know, we're just so overloaded with stimulation, you know what I mean? And so actually we're really losing the ability to like have no stimulation, to just like be with ourselves. And so I think like, and that makes it, you know what, if you're not with yourself, if you can't be with yourself, you've got no hope in being yeah. with someone. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, very fucking hard to be with, truly be with someone 
if you can't be with yourself because you'll project all kinds of shit onto them and they're going to be projecting onto you and it's just like a mess. So it's like how do we learn to do that? So I really think that for the health of ourselves, our relationships, all of those things, actually for the outcome of our life in general, and that's what this you know Harvard study is talking about, is like we do have to pay a lot of attention to these elements. Mm. That's absolutely right. I fully agree. What do you do, Shona, for looking after your mental health and showing up in the world the best you can, you know, for relationships? I know no one's perfect. Perfection isn't even a word. And I know that you mentioned earlier that your gymnastics career, you kind of had this little voice in the shoulder being a perfectionism. I've got a podcast episode actually coming out on perfectionism and it can get a lot of people in trouble because I've lived most of my life by that. And it's so hard to break free of that. So hard, especially when you just want to excel. But I feel like everyone's just trying their best. But look, I don't want to digress. Talk to me about that. So yeah, how do you deal with the shit? Like when you're sitting in it, like what do you feel works for you? It's a good question again. Another great question, mate. Another great question. Okay. So it's tricky because I have all the tools in place, right? I know how to meditate. I have like, I understand that systems really work. So I always feel at my best when I'm like, I'm sort of routined to a degree. Okay, yeah. But then obviously when things happen in life and routine kind of like, you know, you just fall off the wagon of like healthy routines. Let's just say, you know, you stop doing your gratitude practice or you stop doing your morning meditations. Or you go away, you're traveling or something like that. That's totally really traveling top and you just challenges you. A hundred percent. It's like when you're out of your regular environment and then you're in a new environment, those triggers, those cues don't give you the same level. So look, I have to say, I feel like there are several different mechanisms. You know, therapy is a really important one. I feel lucky enough to have access to it. I also feel lucky enough that I have friends around me who are therapists as well. Not that that's not a good indicator because obviously if they're your friends, then it's not a neutral perspective, but it definitely helps at least to get even some perspective that may be coming from a place of therapy. And then if they're like, I think actually you should speak to someone from a neutral perspective on this particular topic, I will make sure that I put the time and the money aside to actually go and do that kind of thing. As a trainer and a longtime trainer and you know someone who's studying to be a psychologist, I know and understand the benefit of not just one-offs, but actually kind of programming a certain period of time. So if I do go into therapy, I'll do like a phase of therapy so that I can it's work like through something. It's consistency because it just like our bodies and our brains take time to adapt. And so that adaptation can only occur if there's like a constant stimulus or a constant and consistent stimulus. So if you're going to therapy and you do like two sessions, you know, you may get some shifts, sure. But like to truly change, it's probably like five, 10, 15 kind of sessions. It's like going to your yoga classes, like going to do a HIIT workout or a gym or doing sit-ups or push-ups or chin-ups. You've got to get... It's repetitive, eh? It's like consistency showing up. Exactly. It's showing up. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I do, I don't want to say like I do a lot of rumination, but I try to do rumination that's like guided in a way. So cognitive behavioral therapy is something I've brought up before where I'm trying to do exercises that help me to come to understand myself and understand areas where I might be limiting myself or limiting beliefs about myself. And so I'll do things that are like very specific, like, gosh, there's so many different things that you can do, but it's basically like trying to understand like, okay, if something happened to me, let's say I bumped into Sam and I was in LA and I bumped into Sam and like, he just like fully dogged me, like was just like, nah no chance and like kept walking. And so let's say that made me feel really sad, 
right? So I acknowledge, you can do an exercise where you write down, okay, bumped into Sam. He didn't acknowledge me. How did it make you feel? So what was the feeling? The feeling immediately was like anger. Like what a dick. Why would he do that? Then the following feeling underneath that was, I feel like sadness. The feeling under that even deeper is probably shame. Like, oh, like I'm not worthy of his attention. Okay. So then what happens? What was the behavior after that? Oh, maybe the behavior was that I bitched about you, right? Maybe that was a behavior. So like I messaged someone that you know, and I'm like, what a dick. Like, why would he do that? And that behavior then led to another action, right? And that action was that person then told you. And so then it creates this cycle of drama, right? So if you can catch the feeling and how it made you feel before you act and create some unconscious behavior that leads to more of this negative cycle, this is where some of those exercises are really beneficial. So maybe I say, okay, I felt shame. What was the behavior? Okay. The behavior was to actually, instead of sending a message to one of his mates and bitching about him, I actually said, I know I'm choosing a really simple like option here, yeah, <laughs> really yeah, simple yeah, yeah. story here, but let's just say, but let's just say like, then I go, okay, instead I'm going to message you and say, Hey, like, I saw you on the street, like what happened? And then you go, fuck, I didn't see you at all. What do you mean? Like I totally would have caught up with you if I saw you. So what it does, I know it sounds like a very simple exercise, but in relationships, in life, I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, I'm talking about relationships across the board. We do this all the time and we make assumptions about how other people feel about us. That leads us into potentially a shame cycle that makes us feel really shitty. So to come back to your question, when I'm feeling really low, if something really bad has happened in my life and it has to do with, let's say, a relationship or a problem or at work or whatever it might be, I will do an exercise like that to try to determine and decipher like what's going on, where have I made assumptions about something that's making me feel bad, but that I actually don't know if that's the truth. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like- absolutely. So you basically are you're trying in the moment. It's kind of like these thought records that I have here. Exactly. It's, it's 100% a thought record. That's, that's exactly, exactly what it's what called. It yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so. Yes, I was explaining that. Mate, you're all over yeah, it. I, I, yeah, I know I'm all over okay, it. Come on. Good. So you get the feelings, you sit there and you're feeling so, yeah, irrational behavior is thinking about something and that's what CBT is all about, those thought records, right? So you think about your feelings, okay, it's making me anxious, upset, disappointed, angry, and then you do an action without thinking about it. So what the thought records are doing is trying to break the cycle or break the behavior of that negative exactly. thought pattern. So then you're like, okay, so that's how I felt. What is the actual truth? What are the facts? And the only way you can find the facts in this case is by speaking to me directly exactly. as opposed to bitching to someone else. So you may you know or what I mean? like whatever. Exactly. So then the next time that happens, you rewire it. Okay, I had a shitty experience, shame, da 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 Instead of ruminating and thinking I'm not good enough, I'm a loser. Fuck, he mustn't even like me. He must think I'm Totally. Ah, all those assumptions. These are all assumptions. They're not the facts. You don't know the facts until you get to the facts. And that's where the rational... And facts. I struggle with this all the time. We all do. All we all the do. time, Shona, all the time. Yeah, but it's the cause of problems. It's yeah. the cause of like all of these problems. And that's the other thing is like, if I am to bring that problem to you, two things will happen. One, you'll actually go... Like, no, that's not the case, right? And you can release that anxiety for me. But also maybe we get a little bit closer because you're like, oh, shit, dude, I'm so sorry. Like, let's catch up properly, right? You might have this feeling of like, oh, like she cares about that. Oh, cool. Like that strengthens our relationship. The second thing that can happen is you might actually say, hey, yeah, I did. And that's because 
you know, a while ago you did this thing and it made me really upset. So then you clear something else that you didn't even know was going on. So it's like it's improving our communication. But it's not just that, like everyone always talks about, oh, you know, you've got to be good at communicating, but how good are you really? How good are you really? And so the only way you can be good at communicating is if you understand yourself and the assumptions you're making. And so, yes, it's sometimes a bit boring to do these thought records and people don't like to do them and they're kind of like homework. But when you are feeling shitty and you turn to those sorts of practices, let me tell you, as you know, Sam, they are honestly really beneficial. They really are, especially if you do them for a while. I was doing them quite a while on the same things for a little bit of time. And then at once it's done and it's kind of embedded into your brain, it kind of tries to come second nature so that when those same things arise, you catch yourself. It's all about, like you mentioned, catching yourself in the moment before it gets out of hand and kind of goes down to the next layer. And then you're doing shit that you, it's just you feeding back do. that cycle. Yeah, you didn't want exactly. to, and then it's not the right, it wasn't the right outcome. But again, we all experience these things and that's part of life. And yeah, it's interesting to hear your ways of dealing and coping with things, your holistic approach on the whole health and fitness side. Another question before I ask you about virtue and your programs and how the model works and whatnot, when does health and fitness become too much or dysfunctional and negative? doesn't work out for you. And it shouldn't be like, it's not the right thing you should be doing. Maybe take a break. Look, this is why I say like, you know, you really only know if you're collecting data. And so people get a little bit overwhelmed at times when I'm like, collect data. Cause they're like, I just want to like do exercise and feel good. And I'm like, yes, totally. That's fine. And you can totally just do that. That's fine. But the reason I try to get people to become good data collectors similarly to the whole concept of the thought record is that it just provides you with a bit more of an understanding of like how your body is coping. Because if we don't collect data, we're just really not aware of whether we are actually recovering well. So the simplest data you could collect is like, first of all, just did you go to the gym? Yes, I went to the gym. Fine. That can be the start point. But then it's like, okay, how many reps did you do? Okay, this week I did this many reps and I did this weight. So tracking the weight lifted instead of the weight lost, because sometimes that's not a very good variable. That data is always in fluctuation. Whereas like your training data, yes, it's always going to be in fluctuation, but it's based on performance. So it can give you really good insight into whether your body's recovering. So if you start to see that you're hitting a plateau with the weight you've lifted or the reps you've completed, or let's say your endurance runs, like how well you've been recovering from those runs or whether you've actually been not recovering from them because you haven't been able to go further or you haven't been able to go faster, then you can start to maybe question like, I wonder why my body's not recovering. Then you might look at other elements of your data collection. You might say, have I been eating enough protein? Am I hitting my creatine supplement? Have I been having enough water? Okay. Yep. I've been ticking those off. Okay, Have cool. Enough sleep. How about enough sleep? No, I haven't. Okay, great. You know, tracking those sorts of things. Now, some people do get overwhelmed with, with tracking. And so, yeah, I think it's not necessarily for everyone, but if you have a question that you want answered, you're not going to be able to answer it. And instead, if you don't get good at collecting data, you're going to feel really overwhelmed and really sad and really frustrated. You have those moments where you just go, oh, fuck, like why I'm training so much. I'm doing all these things and I'm not seeing any results. And I'm like, well, how do you know? How do you know you're not seeing results if you're not even tracking the data in the first place? Yeah, it's very, very important. And it goes, you know, full circle back to what you've mentioned from the start. It's how well you know yourself, hey? Really. Exactly. It's how well you're feeling, how well you're dialed in with how you're feeling about your body, your emotions and all that stuff. And it's, yeah, it's really important. 
All right, enough about that. I want to talk to you about these programs, how people can support you. Talk to me about the virtue model. What is this? So the virtue method is basically- Virtue method, yeah, sorry. That's all right. It doesn't matter. I mean, just you got the first part right. That's the main thing. But it's basically just like it could be virtue model, actually. It's a nice one, actually. <laughs> I like that. Mine, mine's still yeah. it. So basically, virtue method is really just the combination of all my experience as a gymnast, dancer, a personal trainer, and a yoga teacher. So basically, and now, you know, a psychologist in training. So it's essentially like there are different pillars of what I believe to be a healthy model of training. And so we look at making sure that we're strong, we're fit, we're flexible, and that we also nourish two parts, our body, obviously, and our mind. And so it's about making sure that our attention to all of these elements are equal in a way. Now, the way we do that is by making sure that we do our strength training, we do our yoga, our meditation, and we also pay attention to certain variables with food like protein, making sure we drink enough water. And so all of this is kind of like squished into the program so that it's kind of like a one-stop shop. We do our structured flexibility work. We do our structured weight training and our structured cardio endurance based training as well. That's really cool. And do participants and people who get involved do it online? Like, do you supply videos and stuff? Yes. That how it works? Yeah. So they're online programs. Exactly. At the moment, they're online programs. I mean, I spent many, many years. I've been a personal trainer for nearly, nearly two decades now. Not quite, but nearly. Yes. Yeah, and, wow, that's cool. you know, I've trained people face to face for a very long time and I will get back there. It's just that with uni, with the programs, I wrote a book in 2017 and that sort of like just took off. And so it meant that things just, it was impossible for me to really support people then and there, which is why I was like, okay, I can still support people if I do online programs. And so that's what I started creating with the online videos. And it means that people also can do it at their own time as well. Their own leisure, their own home. Have you got exactly. any question I absolutely have no answer to, but I'm going to ask you. So if people sign up to the program and be a part of whichever one they decide to be a part of. Yes. Some are one-offs. Can they keep replaying it? Is it a 12-week thing? Is there accountability These are great groups? questions. Yeah. <laughs> this is really – no one ever asked this much. Okay, so, yes, they're basically – so there's a Facebook group, private Facebook group, okay, and so cool. anyone doing any of the programs can connect with the community and chat about any questions. I've actually got a live this weekend with the community. Oh, cool. So you speak to them and they've so questions. Totally. Pe- yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely. Because that's a Absolutely. big part of it, isn't it? That's a huge it's a part huge, of it. It's a, it's a really huge part. Yeah. Community is a huge part, but also just having – access to like questions that come up along the way. So yes, I will have that. But also, yeah, they're one-off programs at the moment. So it means that basically you buy it once, it's yours for life. I don't do a subscription model. Look, that doesn't mean that I won't in the future. I'm building an app at the moment and that app is going to be tracking and creating like information on all of those areas that we were talking about and helping you to look at across your week, like whether you've been balanced in your approach. So we're building in the tech to do those sorts of things to basically enhance your experience of the method. But at the moment, and I will never take this away from people, is like this one-off ability because I think like subscriptions are amazing and they're great and they can be really cost-effective. But I also think that sometimes they're quite expensive if you're not utilizing them. And so people just pay once and they have it for life. That's really cool. I like that. And then they, they just download it or whatever, and they can just do it in their own time. And if they have questions, they log onto the Facebook community and they might write, fuck, I don't know how exactly. to do this. And Joey might totally. jump in or Lucy or whatever and go, yeah, this Absolutely. is what I did. This is a video that I did. Okay. That's cool. I like that. Okay. And how long's left of the, the degree? Well, to be honest, it'll be quite a while because eventually I'd like to get to, you know, 
Dr. Shona Virtue level. So that's going to be quite a while. Just, but just look, it just it. depends. I'm just going to cruise through. So I am currently in my fourth year. So I will be working with people in another year. And then after you do like a period of time working with people, then you can choose a specific area to specialize in or you can do, it depends on which sort of PhD I end up doing or which area I end up sort of working in. But yeah, honestly, I don't know. Psychology is such a huge broad topic. So it's very difficult to know exactly. And so the idea is that they kind of just like spray you with all the different areas. And then it's like, which area do you find yourself most interested in? I honestly don't know. I'm obsessed with addiction. I have experienced addiction in my family. I've experienced addiction in myself. And so I understand, like I have a you know really strong connection to that, but then I also have a connection to performance. And so sometimes I'm like, do I want to be a sports psychologist or performance psychologist? So there's all these different areas that I find super interesting, which I may go into. So we'll just see, see what happens. It's kind of what's going to I feel like when it all comes down to it, and there's no rush for you, I mean, you've got a year left, just cruise and see where you feel most meaning and purpose, I think is the answer at the end of the day, where you're most excited, you know, and passionate about. Because when you're passionate about something and, you know, you've got a strong presence in meaning and value and purpose, you end up being really, really fucking good at it. And then you do. when you're good at something, you make money. And then when you make money, you can do more great stuff. So Exactly. I agree. I agree. I like it, Shana. Well, I appreciate everything. How can people track you down? Reach out. You can to find you, me on my web- website, shonavirtue.com, or you can just find me on Instagram as well, Shona underscore virtue. Yeah. And I'll share all this stuff in the show notes, everybody. But that being said, I mean, we could talk for hours. It sounds like we've only touched the surface of what you do, like from a fitness and health perspective. But I feel like I can sense there's so many stories that are just (laughs) hiding behind this facade that I want (laughs) to rip apart and know them on the deepest of levels because I'm very good at that. So maybe there is a second podcast at some stage in the the future. I'm sure there is. And also I have to say, Sam, the feeling's mutual. There's no way that I know actors and I know you guys like (laughs) always sitting on some deep shit. Oh, shit, yeah, absolutely. So... Because you have to access it, right, before you're about to, like, it's how you access some of those emotions. And so, you know what, maybe the, the sec- round two is, like, me in on you, yeah. asking you the difficult nah, questions. I want to get your ones. <laughs> I reckon your right, ones would right. be life-changing. Anyway, big love, take care, look after yourself, Thank enjoy you. London, and we'll chat soon. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at livin.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.